Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. The, the title that I was given today is Battle Ready. So I thought, oh, Battle Ready. I had images of coming up onto the platform, you know, like Bodicea in a chariot, or having one of those helmets with horns sticking out of them, or I could clank up in a suit of armor. But it's not to be, because this is a spiritual battle, not physical, although armor is mentioned, and I will be referring to that later. But we do live in a fallen world, so the battle is real. So we're continuing today with this teaching series, as um, Sarah says, looking at the life of Daniel, a young man from the royal house of Judah who was taken into captivity. Nothing, nothing was going right for him. He was taken into captivity in Babylon, forced to serve a wicked king in a godless culture. So for him, it's a strange land. It's unfamiliar customs, an unknown language, and it must have been very scary for a young man. Yeah, we'll go up there. So there's much that we can learn from the life of Daniel. And one thing is that he learned to pick his battles. He knew when to battle, when it was worth fighting. When the rulers decided to change his name from Daniel to Belshazzar, that, that was the Olcott name of a false god, nothing is said. Now, I'm sure Daniel wasn't very happy about having his name changed, but he didn't seem to think it was worth an argument. When he was told to eat and drink from the king's table, which for him you know, wasn't kosher and would have meant breaking his religious dietary laws, we find that Daniel, instead of arguing about it, he negotiated with his captors and he used his powers of persuasion. That's what Ruth referred to last week. He used these powers of persuasion to be allowed to drink only water and eat vegetables, and he flourished on that diet. But when a law was passed forbidding prayer to anybody but the king, Daniel decided that that was a compromise too far. No way was he going to give up talking to his God. It was vital for his survival in a godless culture. He knew that he risked his life, but this was a battle worth fighting. And because of that, he was thrown into a lion's den. But God honors his faith and shuts the mouth of lions. And I just want to say to Ruth, you know, God does honor our faith. And when you step out like that, God will honor that. So Daniel's faith in his God kept him from being harmed. And the battle we are in is for our faith. You know, our lives are meant to give glory to the Lord, but the enemy doesn't want that to happen. Pastor Paul Reed at our recent church weekend said that God is not inviting us to sign up for the battle. It's not an invitation. If you're a Christian, you're already in it. And the Bible in Ephesians 6 tells us about this armor. It says, put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. And this is when we get the list of the essential armor. With the belt of truth, 
buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, many years ago, a friend and I did a humorous sketch about the full armor. In this sketch, a new Christian, a raw recruit, just signed up for the battle, and he goes to a shop to get fitted for his suit of armor. The salesman tells him that that particular suit is outdated and far too heavy, so he proceeds to suggest alternatives. Instead of the belt of truth, he sells him the sash of sincerity. Because, I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't matter if it's truth, just so long as you're sincere. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, he tries on the straitjacket of self-righteousness, but it's a bit too restrictive. So he settles for the T-shirt of niceness. It doesn't offer much protection in the battle, but it has a nice smiley emoji on the front. And you know, while I was preparing this, I thought, I sometimes wear that one. I, I know that something isn't right. I know it's not righteous and I should speak up about it, but I don't want to offend anybody, and I want to be liked, so I just wear the t-shirt of niceness. The shoes of the gospel are replaced by the socks of the gospel. They're decorated with little crosses, but worn inside the shoes, so as not to be too conspicuous and discreet, so as not to offend anyone. The shield of faith was originally replaced by the dark glasses of blind faith, but then he couldn't see where he was going, so he settled for the lapel badge of belief, which was shaped a bit like a shield. The helmet of salvation, the salesman tells him it's like having a galvanized bucket on your head. So he suggests the hairspray of holiness. That doesn't offer any protection, but it creates a nice halo effect when the light shines on it. Not satisfied with that, the recruit settles for the headband of security, made of cherry cloth to keep you dry in the heat of the battle. And lastly, the sword of the spirit. He tries the brass knuckles of doctrine, not as sharp but good for pummeling, and eventually settles for the tie pin of tolerance. So our new recruit is dressed for battle in the sash of sincerity, the t-shirt of niceness, the socks of the gospel, the badge of belief, the headband of security, and the tie pin of tolerance. I recently cleared out the loft at home, otherwise I could have brought the props and then you would have just seen how ridiculous I looked wearing all of that false armor. The conclusion of the sketch was when he goes to pay for the outfit, the check is made payable to Beelzebub, which is another name for the devil. But Daniel's faith was tried and tested. It proved genuine. But you know, counterfeit faith looks a lot like the real thing. Many people claim to believe in God, but even demons do that and tremble. People live good moral lives, occasionally attend church, might even pray or read the Bible. But when it comes down to it, their faith is in their own goodness. And it's not a saving work. It's not a saving faith, which should be in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's not for us to judge. It's not for us to judge others and say that this person's faith is not real, God knows those who are his. We can have faith, but it's the object of our faith, which is of supreme importance. A few months ago, 
this newspaper came through our letterbox. And on the front, it says things like, I'm not where I want to be, trapped by addiction, terrorism, conflict, another court date. Should I stay for the children's sake? Constant bad news, unemployment, diagnosis after diagnosis. Inside the paper were lots of testimonies from people who'd found this to work in their lives. So I'm looking at this, and then I got to the back, and what it was was a bottle of anointing oil that you could buy. So this, these people had their faith in a bottle of oil, but not in the Lord Jesus. Now, faith in anointing oil cannot save us, cannot make us right with God, cannot help us in our battles. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in the work of Christ on the cross. We have only to come to the foot of the cross, admit that we have done wrong, and ask Jesus to come and take control of our lives. The Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse us from every sin. But even atheists have some kind of faith. It's the object of our faith that is crucial. True faith is in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. And real faith believes that the will of God is the best thing that can happen to you. The will of, your, the will of God for your life is good because God is love. And obedience is important because we prove that we know and love Jesus. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, it's easy for us to obey God when we agree with him. I mean, that's not really difficult, is it? But we haven't learned to trust him until we do what he asks of us, in spite of doubts and worries that it might not all work out right in the end. Biblical faith is founded on facts, facts found in the Bible. Can't rely on feelings. And as I said earlier, it's not for us to judge other people and decide if a person's faith is genuine or not. People grow at different rates. However, it is vital that we are sure. In Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, Jesus told a story about a farmer who went out to sow good seeds on his land. But during the night, an enemy sowed weeds among his crop. His servants came to him and said, Should we pull up the weeds? To which the farmer replied, No, leave them. Let them grow together. We can sort them out at harvest time. Later, the disciples of Jesus asked him to explain the meaning of the story to them. And he explained, The one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and those who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. In the first letter of Peter chapter 1, we read that trials come so that our faith might be proved genuine. Faith that is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. 
There is a mineral called fool's gold, which looks very much like the real thing. Miners can be fooled by it. It's called pyrite. And although it appears like gold, it won't stand up to the test. To be certain that our faith is genuine, it must be tested, as Daniel's was. Although I doubt that any of us are going to be called upon to face lions. Our problem is that we will not trust God unless we have to. So God sees to it that we have to. When we're in a situation where there's no alternative, nowhere else to go, then we learn that God is faithful to his promises. The author of the book that we're using as the basis for this study, Thriving in Babylon, suggests that any Christian who has never really suffered is unprepared. So I wonder, what problems are you battling with today? Perhaps it's fear of the future or worry about finances or ill health. Maybe you're struggling to overcome hurt feelings and you know that you should forgive, but it's a battle within. Perhaps it's doubt or indecision, addiction, anxiety. It might just be that it's February and you're in a really low mood. You know that you should be filled with the joy of the Lord, but it's a daily battle. Now, is that you today? Because you're in good company, the psalmist wrote. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. You are not alone in your struggles. I like what Oswald Chambers said. The battle is lost or won in the secret places of the will before God, never in the external world. We are obliged to get along with God and fight out the battle of our will before him, wrestled out alone with God. Nothing has any power over the person who has fought out the battle before God and won there. Settle the thing between yourself and God, and then you can go forth with the certainty that the battle is won. Get alone with God, fight it out before him, settle the matter there once and for all. It may take a minute, it may take a day, a year, but submission to be obedient to the will of God is the only way to win the battle. The kind of victory has to be learned, learning to trust God, trust his word, trust his character when you're in a difficult situation. We like to read the story of Daniel and how God miraculously steps in and rescues him from the lions. But his story is the exception not the norm. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us of the heroes of faith who achieved great things, men and women of great faith, even mentioning those who shut the mouths of lions, and yet goes on to tell us of those who suffered and who weren't rescued. The group of heroes who endured flogging and chains and imprisonment, those who were stoned and sawn in two or died by the sword, they were also commended by God for their faith. God didn't rescue them. He chose instead to be with them in their trials rather than rescuing them from them. When those early Christians knelt to pray in the Colosseum as the lions approached them, it was a contest between the brute force of Rome and a small sect who merely prayed and even as the lions licked up the blood of those martyrs, who could have predicted that this tiny sect would win? 
The Christian church today is worldwide. Where is the Roman Empire? God can always bring victory and triumph from suffering. We've only to look at the suffering of Jesus on the cross and victory over death that was won that day. God wins his greatest victories through apparent defeats. Very often it seems as if the enemy is winning and God might allow that for a season, but then God steps in. Psalm 146 says he frustrates the way of the wicked. Then we have a much greater victory than if life had all been plain sailing, if we'd never had that time of difficulty. So if you're going through a hard time at the moment, don't think that it is a defeat. Instead, by faith, continue to praise God, continue to claim the victory through him, who is able to make us more than conquerors. We can learn in all the difficult places faith. But you know, the size of our faith is not important. Jesus said you could have faith the size of a mustard seed, and it would move mountains. And Ron Dunn, in one of his books, gives a good illustration of this. He was visiting some friends who lived near a frozen lake, and they persuaded him to try just walking on the ice. Now, Ron was very hesitant and quite fearful. He was treading very cautiously and with not a lot of confidence in the ice to support him. The next day, whilst driving past the lake, he noticed a man sitting on an upturned box right in the middle of the lake, and he was fishing through a hole in the ice, perfectly at ease and not nervous at all. And he asked the question in the book, who was safer, Ron with his little faith or the fisherman with his big faith? Of course, they were both safe, equally safe, because it was the ice which was supporting them, not their faith. But he went on to ask his friend about the fisherman, how he could be so confident, to which his friend explains, he lives around here, he knows the ice. The difference is, that the man who had enough faith to stay in the middle of the ice was enjoying it. He was having far more fun than the one who hesitated around the edges. And so it should be with us. As our faith grows, as we get to know the Lord more, we can enjoy our fellowship with him. And there are two ways that faith can grow. One is the knowledge of God as revealed in the Bible. Psalm 9 says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. The name of God is God. It's his nature and it's his character. The more we read about God, the more we will get to know him, the more that we will know that he is reliable. And the second way that our faith will grow is by experience. We learn to trust God by trusting God. As we exercise what faith we have, it grows and develops into a stronger, healthier faith. It's by experience when we go through times of difficulty that we learn that God is to be trusted and that he does keep his promises. Our experiences of God in the past give us the courage to face the current difficulties. Now, Kathy Kirtley loaned me an inspiring little book called Simply Jesus, which Colin and I have been reading this week. And in it, the author tells of a man named Chuck Templeton, a man who was well-known in evangelical circles in the 50s and 60s. He pastored a large church, and he worked with Billy Graham to found Youth for Christ in Canada. He spoke about Jesus and the gospel all over America. Then one day, he left the church, and he renounced his faith. Everything, everything he had believed, he now denied. 
he went on to become a successful businessman and wrote a book called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Many years later, Lee Strobel interviewed him for a book he was writing called A Case for Faith. Chuck Templeton was then 83 and still vigorously defended his agnostic rejection of God. But at the end of the interview, Strobel asked him how he felt about Jesus. Sorry. The old man's eyes filled with tears, and he said, I miss him. And he sobbed. When I read that, the tears rolled down my face as well. He was 83, and he missed Jesus. And I wanted to say, he could have come back. Jesus still loved him. Jesus would have welcomed him with open arms. Failure does not have to be final. There is a way back to God today. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have times of struggle or seasons of weakness, but true faith can never deny the truth. I felt so sorry for that man. But many people in the Bible failed, but they repented. They got back up and they got back into the battle. Now, I read recently, I'm always reading, you can tell, and this man, he went to an art gallery. It's supposed to be the Louvre, but I'm not really sure whether it was. And he stopped by a painting of a game of chess with the title Checkmate. The game was over. Now, one of the players looked a bit like Satan. And it looked as if somebody had lost and the devil had won. Now, the man was an expert in chess. And he studied this painting for a long time. Eventually, he went to the curator of the gallery and told him the title of the painting would have to be changed. It was wrong. It wasn't checkmate because the king had one more move. Now, I know nothing about chess, so I had to check this out with Seth, who confirmed that this was possible. Now, I think I've got a little DVD which is going to explain this a bit better than I could. If it works.
Now, I can think of at least, at least three occasions in my life when I thought it was checkmate. I thought the situation, you know, we couldn't win. I thought the battle was over and I was defeated. As far as I could tell, it really was checkmate. No way to move. When the king suddenly, amazingly, miraculously made a move and the whole game changed. Now, I considered sharing any one of those testimonies today just to encourage us, but looking back, I can see that like Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den, these experiences were the exception in my life rather than the norm, marvelous though they were. God is concerned that our faith is refined through fire, but although we on occasion find ourselves stretched to the limit, we will never find ourselves stretched beyond what we can bear. Never. The king has one more move. I'm just going to ask the band if they could come back up now. So currently in my life, there are a couple of situations that I'd really like to see change, where there doesn't seem to be any progress. So I wrote in my journal, I've got a new journal that Kath Jones very kindly bought for me. And in the front of this new journal, I wrote, the king has one more move. That's what I'm going to, in faith, believe for the rest of this year. And I was asking the Lord about one particular issue. And I said, Lord, you know, we're not winning here. Do you have one more move in this situation? And I believe he said, not yet. All the pieces are not yet in position on the board. That night as I was going to bed, I read, do not worry about others' lives. That will all come right. You must perfect yourself in my strength. So I'm just content to leave that with him because he knows better than I do. All the pieces are not yet in position, but that is all going to come right. And I'd like you to take that with, away with you today. Whatever the problem, whatever the situation, when all seems lost and it looks like checkmate, remember, the king always has one more move. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.